0: What? <laughs> I'm speechless. I don't even, I I don't exactly know what to say. Uh, wow. So this is, of course, uh, you know, it's time for a little Patreon uh, Wednesday Q&A, and thank you so much to all the patrons. I uh, got a lot of new patrons, actually, in the past couple of weeks. I don't know if that has anything to do, with, or, you know, has any yeah has anything to do with what happened yesterday of course cuz i'm recording this on november 9th 2016 so the day after election day and wow what i you know i'll be honest i did not see trump winning um i, <laughs> I sure as hell didn't vote uh you know i i have a business i have businesses to run so <laughs> you know i i you know i do actual shit that matters um But, well, I mean, I guess that's kind of the odd thing. It's like, how exactly did he win? You know, uh, you know, is the, I guess, is the voting system not entirely rigged? I mean, it's, it's very strange. I, I'm, uh, we're going to see how this plays out. I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what all this says. I certainly feel like, you know, I'll tell you this straight up. uh, And in case you didn't know, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows, you know, Trump is president elect uh, and not only that, but Republicans, you know, now or will in the coming year control the House, the Senate and the United States. I mean, it's it's a kind of a clean sweep in many ways. Uh, boy, <laughs> you know, I, actually, you know, I really appreciate. Uh, l- let me just let me just put it this way. I mean, I guess, you, you know, maybe all that this this all really says it's all very much, a, you know, a cultural commentary on where we're at. I mean, you know, something I had said on various social media is that, well, you know, other than some, uh, you know, marijuana decriminalization that went through in various states, uh, which, you know, not that I care for the political process, but good. If people can get access to marijuana better, fantastic. Uh, And I mean that. But, uh, you know, other than that, I mean, really, it would seem that, uh, you know, if if this was actual people actually voting, you know, that's how he, how Trump got in, then American culture really hasn't evolved or, you know, yeah, I mean, socially they haven't evolved in over 150 years, despite what anybody says, you know, or despite any actions that have happened, because I mean, this guy, you know, this guy's scum. Trump is absolute scum. Uh, he's a loser. He's a failure in life, frankly, and no winning the presidency, you know, success is no guarantee of virtue. And I see no virtue here. Uh, and as far as you know his own business success eh, he had a good start in life frankly and he didn't even do as well as some others have he, i mean paris hilton has done better in her life you know with with the money that she you know that she inherited blah 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 uh than than he has so you know i, I even by his own metrics he's not the best at what he does so i mean this this guy is just absolute slime uh wow you know, um, I, I agree with what some people are saying. Actually, I'll quote, and she said this pretty openly, so I, I don't mind sharing it. But of course, the, the great MK Lords, we're all a huge fan of her here. Uh, you know, she said, time for us, you know, faggots, nasty women and degenerates to get dangerous again. Holy shit, I totally agree. I mean, because, you know, it looks like, not not that, you know... I, I have issues here and there, and we're going to get into some, great, into some questions here. We've got some doozies for this week, okay? Not, not that I'm one for saying, you know, that, that necessarily a culture war need be fought. Uh, but, you know, there has been a culture war going on for a good long while in America. And, frankly, you know, the, the anti-conservatives, I don't know what terms want to use for that. I certainly consider myself an anti-conservative, uh, have lost, it would seem. It would seem and ironically because a lot of people would say that no they didn't you're you know that 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 the sjw's and all these other you know whatever terms you want to use that they've taken over and all that well i guess not it's all very strange there's going to be i mean i'm not i don't really care to make sovereign tech you know necessarily in this way a political thing and and people have a whole bunch of different theories as to what's happened i i genuinely please take no offense to this okay because i really do care about what my listeners think, but I don't want to hear it from from anyone. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, it's it's a conversation I'm not exactly interested in having. Uh, as far as like you know, what is with Trump and all this stuff? I mean, I, I'm just you know, it makes me want to just take a screwdriver and I mean, I, I just don't care. Uh, but I'm putting it out there, you know, and and just saying that yeah, I mean, not not Trump himself, but what it says about the culture. You know, that is a conversation I am interested in having. That one, not not so much, you know, anything to do with the president or, you know, w- with the president-elect or the political nonsense in general. Uh, you know, that's whatever. Uh, yeah, so there there you have it. Um, I feel personally, I mean, you know, I agree with MK here. I, I feel a need to, 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 in many ways, ramp shit up. You know, ramp ramp up the anti-conservative rhetoric, ramp up the anti-conservative methods, uh, and all of that. And you know, and it's funny too. And I, I, I this will actually lead nicely uh, into into this week's uh, first question. Uh, but actually, well, before I get into that, I I, I just wanna I want to say quick that, that boy, uh, my old friend uh, Harlan Ellison. I know you can't hear this. But we we really need that third volume of Dangerous Visions right now. I mean, we really, really do, buddy. <laughs> okay, so get on that. I'm just putting that out there. Because that anthology helped change the world once, and maybe you can do it again. Though I doubt it. But it, it'd be good to have it out there. Anyway, um, so, you know, I get a lot of complaints. I'll tell you, I get a lot of complaints. I've gotten a lot of emails and on various social media, people have talked to me. Saying that, wow, you know, I wish you'd take out, like, the sex stuff, you know, like, out of the interstitials, out of the, the intro beds for, um, you know, for, for all the segments. Like, at the end, during the climax of a Sovereign Tech episode, right, everybody starts moaning, blah, 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 blah. Uh, n- n- <laughs> no way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean there, for a moment, actually, just recently, with episode 200 coming up, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, you know, I could probably reach a bigger audience if I took it out. And then this happened, and I'm like, no, fuck it, I'm leaving it. And, and I, I, I might even take it to the next level, you know. I, I mean, I, I just, no fucking way. Because that's what really won, you know, the, this whole thing. F- forget about Trump. Conservatism won. And I was really hopeful that conservatism was going the way of the dodo. Uh, or at least it was, you know, kind of on, the, on its way out. But th- this, this, would, this would seem to imply the opposite. So and but you know what's funny? So I I, I want to say this too. What's really funny is the same people and I know them, especially on social media. I know them by name and I know them per- I know some of them personally. The same people that complain about the fact that I have sex in this show or like that I have women moaning in various episodes and all of this the very fact that I have, like, like last week, we did episode 199B, right? And at the end, at the last 15 minutes, I did a, fiction, you know, I did a prequel to, to 199C that'll be coming out this week. You know, I did a bit of a fictional episode at the end. And there's this huge orgy scene, right? Tons of people moaning, okay? And I had people freaking out. I know, I know for a fact that these same people watch Game of Thrones. And they like it. When that show gets sexy. I know because they've said it and I've seen it. I hate the show, but whatever. But here's the thing. You know what I think it is? This is, this is the conclusion I got to. And then we're, we're going to get into some tech questions. Don't worry. But you know what I think it is? I think that, see, on Game of Thrones, is, at least as far as I see it, it's usually not some kind of, like, celebration. It's usually not some kind of happy thing. It's usually something... It's always treated as being depraved. Or even when, what is it, the wilds or whatever, you know, that, that redhead is stooping Jon Snow or something, you know, it's usually... Tra- oh, it's animalistic. It's not, you know... You know, uh, uh, you know a royal person or a person of, of good breeding wouldn't wouldn't engage in that and all that, right? It's always treated as depraved. And I think that's why people like it in Game of Thrones. Because it fits in with their narrative it fits in with the societal narrative that no sex is just something we got to do to have babies this is this is terrible you know we we're, we're not we're not good people when we're engaged in that blah 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 now maybe somebody could prove me wrong that there was a couple scenes somewhere in game of thrones where sex was had and it was treated as a beautiful celebration of life and of having a good time uh you know but but i don't think so and and having like an orgy scene with a bunch of politicians no that is not a good time that's disgusting You know, fucking politicians, fucking military people, fucking policemen and all that is, uh, you know, there's nothing sexy about that at all. In general. So, you know, I I just think it's ironic that people complain about it being in my show, but then they go and watch, they watch Westworld. They watch all this shit, you know, with, with sex in it and they don't, they don't bat an eye, but I put it in my podcast. Oh, how terrible. Because I treat it as a great thing. I treat it as a good time. I treat it as, you know, as, as, as something that has absolutely zero to do with procreation. Which, as we've talked about many times on Q, Sovereign Tech Q&A episodes, you know, sex is, it is equally, about, you know, it, it can be equally considered for procreation as much as it could be considered as a social lubricant, as a social action. It does not, it co-evolved. Okay, it did not just evolve for procreation. It could have evolved for completely different reasons and it would have been totally legitimate. Why do kisses feel good? Why do all these other things feel good? Is that for procreation? No, unlike your, you know, unlike what mommy told you when you were younger, mommy or daddy, okay, kissing someone doesn't get you pregnant. Why? Because it evolved for pleasure. Just like intercourse did. Just like, you know, rubbing clits did. Just like stroking dicks did, okay? Okay. It's not just for procreation. So anyway, I hope you guys are going to, guys and gals, I know you'll enjoy 199C. Uh, I've got a doozy. I have a lot of guest stars that are going to be on it. um, And it's going to be a great time. So anyway, and people, you you know, people don't realize how long. That 15 minutes at the end, at the end of 199B that I did, I know you're like, well, there was a lot of music and that's going to get into our first question. Uh, you know, there was a lot of music, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, th- I mean, there is. But even what I did, just that 15 minutes took took about, you know, maybe, maybe 17, 18 hours to, uh, you know, to put together all said and done. I mean, it takes time. It really takes time, you know, to, to put that stuff together and to do a much longer version. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I put a lot of work into these things And with all that said Why don't, why don't I answer this first question And then I, I actually What I want to get into Is a little bit of a story um, I have a, I, That I won't be able to get to this week But it's so important I, I actually I want to touch on it here So, uh, so the first question let's, let's, let's get right into that um, Was did I The music during that 15 minutes That I was just talking about the, the music Did I compose that? And so this is our little segment That we call Sovereign Tech Secrets <laughs> um, and no, uh, no I, I didn't I actually didn 't compose any of that music uh, both the the three songs that were used there was actually a total of three songs, even though it sounds like maybe four or five. There were three songs used uh, during that or, or well actually, I guess it was four if you count the um if you count the jazz the smooth uh, the smooth jazz that that was played, which I don't know who did that that that's just like kind of random kind of stock music i'm I'm actually not sure who performed that, uh, but I use it all the time along with some other ones the the more popular smooth jazz that I use, uh, which i'm I'm a huge fan of uh, you know smooth jazz or soft jazz, whatever they want to uh, you know whatever they want to call it. From the 90s that everybody thought would be the music of the future, like whenever we played Wing Commander or, you know, even in like Star Trek and, you know, a bunch of different stuff like they always use that soft jazz. I'm a huge fan, but uh, that music I, that comes from Kim Waters, the stuff I usually use where it's like. No, that's Kim Waters. That's a song after midnight. Uh, but the other the, the some of the other soft jazz that I use are smooth jazz. I I, um, I don't know who does that. It's It's all just kind of random. Anyway, uh, so the other music, uh, the music, uh, there is, it's by a group called Narto, and I mean, they're not like a big deal, they're just kind of a synthwave uh, pop, uh, in fact, I think it's even one guy, I don't even know that it's a group, uh, but that's by Narto, and um, that, that, so the music at the very end of the 15 minutes, and when, uh, when Agent Sovereign is driving up to the Wolf Slayer, that is actually one song, kind of split in half, and that is uh, that that is by Narto. Um, the and I think it's called uh, when My Eyes Turn Red, I think that's the name of the song. It, it's 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 great. it It doesn't have any more than what I played. Like that's kind of the whole of it, but it's, you know, it's, it's just a phenomenal couple of minutes. Uh, of course, the Airwolf theme, which is exactly what played during that. Uh, and if you didn't notice, Red Wolf is, well, Red wolf, actually, the name Red Wolf, is from Airwolf. like that whole concept. The show Airwolf, one of my favorite shows of all time, I've talked about it many times on Sovereign Tech, that and especially the first season. The first season was such high-end, dead serious drama. It is some of the best drama ever put on television. And like I said, it's serious as a heart attack. Now, once they went to season two and they brought on Sweet Britches, I'm not joking, that was what they called the lady, okay, or what they called the woman that they brought on, okay? Uh, when they brought her on and they did season three, uh, <laughs> The show kind of the show kind of dropped the ball. Not that there weren't great episodes, uh, because one of them I believe was was the episode with Red Wolf, which is where there was a second Airwolf that that was built. But Red Wolf, they it had like a red paint design on it, and it had lasers instead of the bullets and all, and all this stuff. It was you know kind of a more advanced version. Um, that's where I got Red Wolf from. So even Red Wolf wasn't necessarily the original idea. Of course, the loadout that I did on it, I made it not have offensive weapons. It was, it was all defensive. That's my own personal taste because I, I don't care for the use of lethal force. Um, but anyway, that's, that's where Red Wolf comes from. So playing the Airwolf theme was obviously very fitting. And of course the Airwolf theme, uh, was done by, uh, Sylvester LeVay and who, who, who worked with, um. Well, Sylvester Levay's worked with, with a bunch of different people. But anyway, that, that was by Sylvester LeVay, uh, which, by the way, Airwolf, now I know it went to season four. I didn't mention that. Of course, season four of Airwolf used a lot of stock footage and recycled footage from seasons one through three. But it had a totally new cast and it was on the USA Network back in the 90s. Season four, I actually like a lot. In fact, it has a uh, great davies who went on to do Forever Night. Uh, one of my favorite shows, even though it's a cop show. Uh, it's, you know, it's about vampires and all. It's just an awesome 90s show. Triple Black all the way, by the way, if you notice. <laughs> with with, uh, with uh, Nick Knight and that. Uh, in fact, the movie that, that Forever Knight was based off of, Nick Knight, actually starred Rick Springfield. And I'm a huge Rick Springfield fan. Anyway, I'm getting way off track. So, uh, Airwolf, great show. Uh, I definitely paid homage uh, to that, you know, in in... Um, all the sounds, a lot of the sounds are, are from Airwolf as well. Uh, so yeah, Red Wolf came from that. And so I use the Airwolf theme for the takeoff and, you know, I'll tell you this here and I might, if I get to talk a little bit about the making of 199C during 199C, um, I'll mention it there, but I'll admit like when I set up that scene and the Airwolf theme started, when I finally put all that together, I'll tell you, I, I had one tear. Like I I I kind of cried a little because I've always wanted to fly Airwolf and I sort of felt like I was. I mean, when you you know, when when you when you put all that together, I don't know, you just you feel it. So anyway, uh that so so that music uh comes from that. Also, the music after after uh after Agent Sovereign says, you know, hold on and they're flying back to the base. Uh, that music is also from the Airwolf soundtrack, and that is, I think that specifically is by Mark J. Cairns, uh, that, 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 that music. That's Moffat's theme from the show. Um, and then when that, when that ends off, you know, I kind of cut it off early, and it goes back into Narto's, uh, you know, when my, or when my Eyes Turn Red. Uh, so that's the music. None, none of it is mine. Um, I mean, I could give credit. I don't feel may, maybe credit to Narto. And I'll be using that music again, so I'll give credit to him then. Um, the, the Airwolf music, I have no qualms about using that because you ready for a little inside secret? Uh, <laughs> I have the two-disc Airwolf uh, album, okay? You cannot buy this in stores. You are not going to buy it on, you know, on, on Google Play Music or whatever. Like, you're just not going to get your hands on it. It was a special release of, I think, 1,500 pieces. I think it was 1,500 pieces in, in the, it came out like in 98. And, uh, you know, on, I mean, they, they sold it, you know, and, and I didn't know that it came out. Okay. I didn't, when it came out, I, I didn't realize that it was there. And eBay was a thing at the time. And when I found out that that came out, I was at a convention and somebody said, you know, did you get that two disc Airwolf set? I was like, no. How the fuck did I not know about this And of course I mean back then How did you find out about anything I mean now you have websites Dedicated to releases of this shit But back then you just didn't know Um, So so I got my hands on it And you know frankly It cost about 1200 bucks So I've paid my dues If anyone wants to come after me For playing the fucking The Airwolf music Fuck you Okay I paid serious money for that <laughs> And I'm going to play it uh, So anyway um, That's that, that's that uh, <laughs> I mean, maybe somewhere There's a torrent of it available now But, uh, but I've, I've had it forever um, And uh, yeah, there you go so, so that's where all that music comes from uh, You know, just explain that none, none of that was mine uh, But, uh, you know, most of it I have no qualms playing uh, Especially the Airwolf music I mean, I, that, in my opinion I could use that soundtrack To the end of eternity That is bought and paid for Nobody should pay that much money for for a double-disc CD, Uh, but, you know, it's love of the game, right, (laughs) as they say. Um, Okay, so why don't I get into a little bit of a story here, and then I do have a couple questions. One of them is a huge subject that I actually, I look forward to talking about, Uh, and then maybe we can have some fun at the end if we still have time. So what happened is, is that yesterday, uh, now now there's Pocket, the app Pocket that allows you to save uh, stories for offline, offline reading or to read them later. Now, I don't know about you in all honesty. Like I, the instant I save a bookmark, you know, and I haven't read it, like I'm just never going to get to it. I mean, just, just honestly, like there's just so much shit that keeps coming out. I mean, I have like sovereign tech stories. I have a bookmarks folder that is thousands deep. You know, like there are just, there are so many stories in it and I will probably never get to them. And a lot of them are also, unfortunately, you know, I feel bad about this. There's are stories that have been user submitted or you know, listener submitted, I should say. Uh, <laughs> keep wanting to call you guys users, you know, like I'm Tron or something, but I'm, I'm not. Uh, anyway, so, so, you know, I mean, using Pocket, like I don't really use it because I don't see it as being that helpful to me. It's okay if you find it helpful. But I signed up for it to kind of test it out and everything. And so you get emails from them where they show you sort of the best of the web. Now, this is handy, okay, because it works as, you know, Pocket, just this email that, that they send out. They, what, how, what, apparently what they base this on, and maybe this isn't true anymore based upon what I'm about to tell you about. Okay, what they base this on is what are the most saved stories on Pocket. So they use that metric. Uh, you know, to to show you what's really popular on the internet. And I think that's a great idea, you know, as long as they're not collecting user data, which they probably are, but okay. So this is, I found a lot of really great shit. I mean, I always check out this email when it comes out, you know, it's called Pocket Hits. And yesterday morning, I woke up and I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked at what I saw in a good way. Because what, you know, they, they give you like the first, the lead story and they kind of tailor it towards maybe, maybe some of your choices or whatever. Uh, well, I, I don't know to what degree they tailor things. Anyway, um, the lead story said something to the, or the title was don't vote. It doesn't matter. See why. And I was like, no way. Like that, somebody actually got a story out there like that. And it was a big deal. And so within the email, I never clicked on the story. I never read the story. Okay. In the email, they start to give you, you know, a very quick shot of what, you know, how the story starts off. And within like the first sentence, it says, no, it actually does matter. Okay. So, so I was like, all right, fuck it. It's like, I knew it. There's no way that, that, that kind of story was getting through. And I mean, if you just read past the headline, you would see. That this story was not anti-voting at all. It was just, you know, it was going for shock value with uh, with the headline. Now, later that night, I get get another email. A lot of people got it. Everybody, pretty much anybody that's a Pocket user or ever signed up for Pocket got another email. And here's the email. I'm going to read it to you because this is really important. Okay, and the subject of the email is apologies. This is from Pocket. This is from the company Pocket. Okay, get that straight. Apologies for our earlier email. Your vote matters more than ever! Exclamation mark or exclamation point. Here it is, dear Pocket Hits subscribers. This morning, the subject of one of our Pocket Hits newsletters read, "Don't vote; it doesn't matter." See why? Even though the contents of the email contradicted this statement and explained that it was a joke, this subject was beyond foolish and exhibited terrible judgment. It wasn't funny. It was just plain irresponsible, stallion breaking in. I'm going to go back to that paragraph in a minute, okay? But I want to read the rest of the email to you. Today matters. This election matters. It's why we closed the pocket office today so that every pocket employee had an opportunity to vote and pitch in to help increase voter turnout in our cities across the country. Leading up to today, we've also been partnering with Vote Please to help register. It's a group to help register thousands of voters. Please get out there and vote today. While you do that, we're going to fix our editorial process to add checks and ensure this never happens again. Nate at Pocket. Does everybody else get out of that email what I got? All right, first off, so if Pocket, you know, if the purpose of Pocket is to, if Pocket hits, maybe that's not the purpose of Pocket hits. Maybe Pocket hits is just like something that, that, that news, like that the New York times can buy and thus they can kind of advertise their stories on it. Even though usually pocket hits kind of has sponsored links in it. Like it'll tell you when it's something that's sponsored. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how pocket hits works, but it really doesn't matter how it actually works. Okay. Here, here is, this is coming, this is coming from a Silicon Valley company. This is coming from pocket uh, even though the contents of this email I'm reading it again contradicted the statement and explained that it was a joke, this subject was beyond foolish and exhibited terrible subject. it wasn't funny it was just plain irresponsible. Pocket is telling you as anarchists and I know a lot of my listeners are anarchists. I know not all of you are but even if you're not an anarchist this should be this should be very very concerning and insulting. They are saying that the opinion that your vote doesn't matter, is irresponsible and foolish. That is what pocket is saying. Now that's ridiculous. Okay? If they if pocket is if you know, if like the purpose of their emails it would seem to be is to be a news aggregator, that means that no their their opinions, okay? Their ideologies are getting in the way of the aggregation. Or maybe they weren't before, but now they will, because what did they say? While you do that, we're going to fix, this is right from the email, we're going to fix our editorial process to add checks and ensure this never happens again. You getting this straight? Pocket is telling you, we will never allow anarchist content in our emails ever again. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying the idea that voting doesn't work, the idea of not voting, we will never allow that to get out there through our, not through our system. Now, they're a business. They have the right to do that. Okay? That's fine. I get that. I'm not saying they did necessarily anything unethical. Is this censorship? Yeah, I think so. But w- whatever. Okay? They're a business. They get to call that shot. However... Be clear on this, because this is a statement that I think is true for Facebook. It's true for any company out there that's involved in the aggregation of news, okay? And and this speaks, you know, bottom line, they are not going to allow actual real freedom, real liberty, real anarchism get out there to anybody. They will not. They'll make sure their editorial process won't allow for it. And so when I hear people saying, "Oh, isn't it amazing? Look at the internet. It's getting everything out there. Everything's out there. And and now and you could reach, you know, even with even with this really, you know, edgy message, even with this anarchist message, you could reach millions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not for long. Yes. You, you know, you can make your own website and get up your own shit, but the bottom line is is that, you know, News aggregation, you know, aggregation of content, curation of content is incredibly important. You know, news news curators, maybe curator is the word I should be using, not necessarily aggregator. Okay, but curation of content, I think is a great thing. I think it's an important thing. But guess what? The system is working against you. We are back to effectively, I mean, we're getting back to... In my opinion, with this email, it just proves it. we're getting back to, you know, the old days of newspapers and all that to where, you know, the government, uh, you know, somebody in, in the White House or, you know, wherever, you know, in Britain can call the prime minister or whatever. Or, you know, the prime minister can call the news organizations and, and they have protocols for this where you call them up and they say, OK, you know, we need you to do you know, we need you to do like a class D or whatever your country calls it, OK, where you don't talk about this story at all. And that can happen now. That happens on the internet now. The internet has not democratized this stuff, okay? I mean, because the signal-to-noise ratio is crazy, and the big-time curators, you think you're going to reach people? You're going to reach the average person? Well, the average person goes through Pocket, and guess what? Pocket's not going to let your shit get out. Fuck you. This is also similar. This, this, this bolsters a point that I've made, okay? I've talked about how using Google now, of course, it's not Google now anymore, but when using Google now, okay, when using OK Google, no matter how many times you, you look up anarchism, no matter how much of your search, you can put anarchism in your fucking name. You, I mean, no matter what you do about bringing up anarchism, you will never, ever get a card, okay, a little news card or whatever, or a subject card like you get, you would get in Google now, you'll never get one about anarchism. In Cortana, Cortana will never share a story with you about something happening in anarchism. And folks, there's shit going on every day. Listen to the podcast, The Ex-Worker. Okay, it might not be anarcho-capitalism, but who gives a shit? I don't. Anti-state, anti-authority is anti-authority. Good, get to it, okay? Uh, y- you know, I, y- you look, I mean, there's stuff going on all the time that could get reported. It does not. Not through, the, not through these, you know, major sources that the average person has access to. You're not going to reach these people. You're just not. I think this is horrendous, a pocket. I think this is censorship. I think this is, I, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, and they said it. We're going, it says right here. We're going to fix our editorial process to add checks and ensure this never happens again. That is them saying the idea of not voting or, or you know, anti-voting rhetoric will never make it on Pocket. There you have it, folks. And, and you thought Pocket was just like some dumb app, you know, that, 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 that allows you to store your stories. Hmm. So anyway... Uh, I just, I wanted to talk about that. I was so livid when I saw this. In fact, Stephanie and I, we were having dinner when this email came in. Uh, we paused what we were, you know, what we were doing, what we were watching. And I said, holy shit. It's like, this is crazy. Who, who the hell are they to, you know, to, to go on about this? There you go. New boss, same as the old boss, right? That's, uh, that seems to be the order of the day. Uh, anyway, enough, uh, enough with that email Why don't we get into uh, another question And I'll actually, I'll, I'll read the question here uh, It's, it's a, you know, a little on the longer side But that's, that's totally okay uh, Because when subjects like this, they need to be <laughs> uh, Hey Brian, I've got a subject for the Q&A That was triggered by one of your recent uh, FB posts You recently mentioned how libertarians' heads explode The second the phrase, quote-unquote, post-scarcity ooh, Is mentioned I haven't yet read any serious scholarship on the topic, but I've been rolling the idea around in my head for a while and I'm not ready to dismiss it out of hand. We already have post-scarcity in intellectual property and there are other goods in which we should be able to achieve at least a pseudo post-scarcity, perhaps a term to use. I'm not denying that human desires are unlimited, which may be partially addressed by fully immersive VR, or that there aren't challenges to the concept. But with the seeming quote-unquote progress of technology, I think it's something to take seriously. I have other thoughts and I'm still exploring the implications of post-scarcity, but this is getting a bit long for the current purpose. You've teased it before, but I'd like to hear your more detailed take on the concept. Carpe Lucen. Uh Carpe lucem to you as well. Uh, Messenger, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so, so this is an interesting thing. I, and, and actually, the, you know, the Messenger is absolutely right on. Uh, or the listener, I guess I'll say, is right on with the point that um, that intel- with intellectual property, like, yes, we are totally in post-scarcity. There, you know, <laughs> if Motley Crue comes out with a new album or Bon Jovi comes out with a new album, which they did, I, I actually really enjoy it, um, you know, if Bon Jovi comes out with this house is not for sale, uh, you know, everybody could, literally everybody could have that album, you know, like the MP3s, right? I yeah, you know, there's a finite amount of CDs, but as far as digital, I mean, you know, there's just, there's, there's copies everywhere and really digital, you know, in fact, interesting story, Bon Jovi actually released before the album even came out, you know, it used to be a big deal. You'd have album listening parties and, you know, you'd want to keep it really secret. You'd only want to release certain singles and all this stuff right before an album comes out. Uh, But Bon Jovi's like, look, I can't stop people. I, I heard this in an interview. He was doing an interview with Eddie Trunk. It was great. Uh, I'm a huge Bon Jovi fan and an 80 Trunk fan. But anyway, you know, he was in the interview and he said, you know, he was releasing live performances of the entire album because right now they're on a, uh, Bon Jovi's on uh, a tour, kind of a mini tour for the album and they're playing the entire album and that's largely all they're playing. I think that's great for one. First off, you know, from a music fan's perspective, I think it's beautiful um, that they are, you know, that they're playing their new album in its entirety because I I wish more bands would do that. I want to hear the new album. I want to hear it played. I want to know that the band takes the album seriously, right? Uh and so you know they did that and they're and Eddie Trunk asked Bon Jovi, it's like, why are you releasing this album? You you know, the album hasn't even come out yet, but people can just go on YouTube and hear the whole song. And he says, he says, look, he said, people can get their people can get their hands on the album. I'm not going to stop anybody, you know, I can't stop anybody from doing that and I'm not going to stop them. Yes. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, what a brilliant, I mean, he's Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi has always been a brilliant businessman. Um, and I've actually, you know, taken to heart a lot of his stuff, uh, you know, a lot of his business tips and tricks. Uh, and, but I mean, he just proved it. He's like, I can't stop it. He says, so I might as well just embrace it. And say, okay, you want to hear the album? You want to see the live performances? Here it is totally for free on YouTube. Fucking right. Is that a marketing trick? Yeah, it certainly is that. But it's also, he clearly, based upon his own words, he obviously understands that he cannot control intellectual property anymore. He just can't. And that's great for somebody that's been in the business for so long, you know, I mean, and has been so successful in the business, for him to recognize that, I think that's dynamite. That's wonderful. Okay, so, so it's true. With intellectual property, you, we, pretty mar, we pretty much are at a level of, of post-scarcity. Now, that raises a lot of... To get into... The, all right, so let, let's talk about post-scarcity a little bit more. Because I think the digital realm actually raises a lot of interesting points about economics. And it raises a lot of interesting points about this idea of post-scarcity or as, you know, as the term that the uh, the listener created, which I think might be useful, pseudo-post-scarcity. That might be the best way to kind of describe it. Uh, okay, so post-scarcity is very simply, and this is a term that gets used by a lot of people, so it can have a multitude of definitions. But the definition that I'm effectively going to run with is that post-scarcity is the idea that you, you know, in the most literal sense, that Literally, you have gotten rid of scarcity in that anything a human could want at any given moment, they could possibly have. Okay, like, you know, there's unlimited food, there's unlimited starships, there's unlimited all this blah, 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 blah. Okay, I mean, some people describe Star Trek, you know, like the Federation, that in that future, that that is post-scarcity to where you can kind of have everything. Well, it's not exactly, it's post-scarcity in that all of your needs can get met, you know, food and all this stuff. Um, but like your, your wanton desires, obviously not all of them can, can get met. And most people that talk about post-scarcity, I really don't think that they, that they're that literal, that like you could get to the point to where one person could instantly have a thousand starships. And then in the next five minutes, they could have another thousand starships. They could have all the planets they want. Nobody's like anybody making the claim that that's what post-scarcity is. I think that they are insulting it. Like I, I, or I think that, I mean, it's a straw man. They're they're just wanting to, to, you know, they're oversimplifying and they're wanting to insult people that say the words. Now, it's true. People do, their heads do explode when you bring up post-scarcity. Okay, because the idea, I think the the, kind of the bigger concern is that, or the bigger concern with a lot of people that bristle at post-scarcity is that you would get to a world where you don't need money. And people think that that's that's impossible. Now I am not going to say that that's impossible. I think you can make alternative economic choices to where you don't have to have money, and at the same time, you could still have an advanced culture, a technologically advancing society, and all that. And there is historical proof for this. Uh, you look at, um, you know, you, look, you even you look at the Incas. The Incas didn't have money they had money, but it was only money to deal with, you know, say, say other, other cultures or stuff like this, you know, at various trading posts, but everything that the Inca was devising and a lot of it was incredibly unique. So it's not like they got it from other, you know, from other cultures, uh, you you know, they, they had like more of a time system. Okay. Now you could say, well, then time was their money and it was a time tax and all that. Okay. But they wasn't, they weren't exchange, they weren't using a medium of exchange known as money to, you know, to, to and, and they were, an incre- you know, for, for what they were and at the time and where they were, they were an incredibly advanced and continually advancing society. Now, I'm not saying we need to go do what the Incas did. I, I, I'm sure as hell not saying that. I'm just saying that you're dead wrong when you say that without money, you cannot advance technology and you cannot advance a culture. That's horseshit. We have examples. We know. Now, um, so, so with, with post-scarcity, okay. You know, the, 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 concern is that there isn't money and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to make a quick comment on that. Okay. Not, not that I am, you know, seeing a future where there isn't money necessarily, you know, or all of this, but you know, I kind of, I love, I think this quote gets attributed to Benjamin Franklin. I love this old quote where the only people that are afraid of a world without money are scoundrels. Because they're people who, you know, because then they would have to be valued based upon who they are as a person instead of what's in their bank account. Like, that's the point that Benjamin Franklin is making. Uh, and I think that's an interesting point to consider. Mm-hmm. Especially when you look at, at how many, you know, like, like us, what they call celebritarians, you know, like these celebrity, li- these libertarians that become a big deal within their, you know, own movement, which is incredibly small. Uh you know, I mean, just how personally they're all a fucking mess. And I mean, all of them, Kokesh, uh, you know, Berwick, I, I mean, you know, Molyneux, go down the list. I mean, these guys have like their personal lives are, are atrocities, you know, and, and the, the stuff they spew is usually absolutely horrendous. Um. So anyway, oh boy, how, how did I even get into that? Uh, oh, right, I was saying you know, and these are the people that espouse no, we got to have money, we got to have a currency, you know because well they're they they're wanting to base their self worth probably on their bank account because if people looked at their lives, oh shit anyway uh, <laughs> um, so post scarcity uh again it's not i i don't really think anybody uses it as in literal a sense as to where you can just have anything at any time now like like the you know, the listener was saying in the question, OK, yeah, there's, you know, a person can have kind of infinite desires and there's only finite energy and matter in the universe. So how could you possibly have all that? Well, I think that there's something there's something that people forget. And this goes this goes back to and I'm not saying the listener did this. I'm saying in general people that, you know, critics of the idea of post-scarcity, there's there's an equate there's a part of the equation that they miss. Okay, just like when we talk about the Drake equation, right? About how, oh, there, no, there's fucking, there's alien life everywhere. What are you talking about? There's all these stars, blah, 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 you know, uh, and, and, and the universe is this big. There just, there has to be, there's, there's life fucking everywhere. When the, the part of the math that they miss in that equation is how hard is it? What are the chances that, you know, whatever, you know, proto-goo comes together to create, you know, nuclear, well, anyway, to, to create life. You know, what are the mathematical chances of that? That number stands in huge contrast to no matter how many planets exist in a Goldilocks zone. And then, I, well, you know, what does the, the Drake equation say? Well, then it falls. That's when we get the Fermi paradox that comes up. Because then it's like, oh, wait a second. But if we add in this number, suddenly, ooh, it's not so good a chance that there's a lot of life in the universe, right? So with post-scarcity, the math that I think a lot of people forget is that as it stands right now, People only don't live that long. People, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, we have more centenarians than we've ever had, you know, people that are a hundred or older. That's true. And that's great. I think it's a wonderful development. Okay. But let's just say people on average, you know, even being generous, let's say people on average only live a hundred years. So you can have infinite desires. Yes. But you still, you know, only have so much time within which you can act upon those infinite desires and you can only do so many things at once right and you know i mean so so the the concept of post scarcity when you add in the when you add in the, the math of a human lifetime Then I think it does become a point where you could get to this pseudo post-scarcity, not a 100% literal definition of post-scarcity, which, again, anybody that believes in post-scarcity or think it's, it's an achievable goal, none of them actually go, you know, none of them are being that fucking literal, okay? That's just people being assholes. Uh, you know when when they start to make arguments against the literalness. So the idea, so the thing is, you could. Have, I think you really could have a pseudo post scarcity. What almost appear? It's not. It cannot possibly be a literal post scarcity. I agree. Okay, uh, but you can have a pseudo post scarcity when you add in the amount of time that people live. You know that they only live a hundred years. Okay, uh, you know they can only do so much. They can only ask for so many things. I mean, like there's there's just. Yeah, like I I think it's something that that could actually happen. And in fact, when you read like a lot of Kevin Carson's work, in fact, I know guys who, who readily, readily, and I mean, and these are brilliant guys. Okay, now, I mean, they've said it to me, you know, in more private conversations, so I don't want to name their names. Okay, but these are people who, who are names in the, you know, in the quote-unquote liberty movement, all right, who have said to me, like, yeah, you know, they'll say, yeah, I could post-scarcity, like, say, under the definition of Kevin Carson to where, you know, uh, the free market just makes things so that you only have to work, like, three hours a week, uh, you know, and, and 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 production, you know, just gets to this, you know, insane level to where, you know, things get to, like, say, closer to a zero marginal cost and all that, Um That, yeah, that, that kind of, that definition of post-scarcity, that's totally possible. And that's, that's pretty much what I think everybody is saying when, you know, anybody that's really espousing post-scarcity is that they're talking about that to where, you know, I mean, like we've talked about many times on CyberTech, look, we don't, you know, we don't, there's plenty of food on the planet. It may not all be the best food, but even then, you know, there's, there's labs making meat that literally bleeds, but it's, it's like fake meat. I mean... And yes, there's there's problems with that. What does it take to produce that? Isn't it easier to just have a cow? Yes, 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 I know. Okay, but my point is, is that, that that kind of technology is developing, okay? But my point being is that there's plenty of food to feed everybody on the planet. All there is is a distribution problem. So the concept is, is that if you opened up the free market, okay, that, you know, and you got rid of governments, which their regulations are what's holding back a lot of this food is what's throwing away millions of pounds of food, uh, you know, a, a month or a year. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Okay, we, so we have a distribution problem. So get regulations out of the way. The distribution problem stops. There's plenty of food for everybody. There's plenty. And could you get could you get food production? Could you get a lot of these things to a point of closer to zero marginal cost? Okay, not, you know, near, it's near zero marginal cost. Everything obviously has some kind of cost. Okay, but it's near zero marginal cost to where you know it it costs practically nothing to make it. Like something that's getting to near zero marginal cost, smartphones. I mean, literally, it's getting to the point where people are able to give away smartphones. Yes, money is made elsewhere, but it is a it is a product, it, it is it is a market category to where things are getting to near zero marginal cost. Because I mean, honestly, like if we didn't need all the power in a Galaxy S7, I mean, you could make these phones for practically nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I, so, again, it's near zero marginal cost. Um, but could food get there? Yeah, I think it could. I think a lot of these things could get to near zero marginal cost. And at that point, it's, I mean, it's effectively pseudo post-scarcity. I mean, and if people, you know, if we get to a point in the market to where people, I mean, even within regulation, people are already realizing that it's far, it's far superior to only have your people work, not even part-time, but like 10, four to 10 hours a week. There are companies, there are people, I mean, and they make a lot of money within that four hours. Like, I mean, you know, they're making you know, say hundreds of dollars an hour or something like that. Right now. I mean, you could say, well, those are just Silicon Valley jobs, but this can spread elsewhere to other parts of the economy. Okay. When you get to, you know, I mean, people, but my point is that people are getting to the point where they realize, Hey, you know, with automation and a lot of this different stuff, we don't have to work that much anymore. So it's possible to get to that, to where work would be, you know, minimal again, the, the, the problem that people have with post-scarcity is they just, they take it way too literally and nobody means that. Like no, but absolutely nobody means that unless you're reading the culture series, you know, from E&M banks. Okay. To where, yeah, then there's like AIs and they're kind of doing everything. And then it is, you know, very literally a post, you know, a, a post-scarcity or at least as close as you could get to a literal post-scarcity as there is, you know, but that's science fiction. But in reality, I think, yes, you can kind of, you can get to a point to where, You know, anything you want or need at a certain point, you know, generally what anyone, as in like what your needs that could also equate with the amount of time you have in life and all this. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you you know, you're about to get there. And of course, people that, I mean, come on, these people aren't, people that espouse post scarcity, they're not that stupid. Okay. They know that there is in it, you know, in the universe, there is a finite amount of places that you could live. They know that. So it it all comes down to definition of terms, but I think that you know and i like I like using that term kind of a pseudo post scarcity um, I think that hits at it because I, that that is a point that I think people could reach that is a point that that, that humanity could reach um, now I'm also into life extension technology, so do people say, well, um, you know fine, you add in this amount of time that people have to use things uh You know, what about life extension technology? What about when people are living to 400 years old? Then can we still have post-scarcity? Well, you're not totally understanding my concept of time, okay? And my point is, is that like you can only do so much at any given moment, all right? And whatever amount of property you're living on or something like this, okay, you know, you you can only fit so much on there, all right? There's more math than just, oh, I can have fucking everything. Nobody, nobody's saying that with post-scarcity. OK, but it just goes to show how little libertarians and ANCAPs actually research anything, really, uh, because they would know that people that espouse post-scarcity aren't, schlep, aren't making the arguments that they are making, it, that, that ANCAPs and libertarians are making against post-scarcity uh, proponents. They know that, but they don't know that because they don't care because they're just like, no, no, I'm fucking right. Shut up. how it goes, folks. Believe me. So anyway, I think, you know, to a degree, yes, we, we could be even on track right now to a world with post-scarcity. Uh, now, you could end up, frankly, if VR takes off, and this is where things get interesting for me, virtual reality is going to change everything. I mean, in many ways, it already is. And the tools, the fortunate thing, and we talked about this briefly um, on, on Sovereign Tech Prime episodes, we talked about it where, you know, like, or it was last week, it was actually 199B, where Microsoft clearly, like their their hardware event that they held, they are all about creating the infrastructure and tools for people to be able to build, um, you know, a, a mixed reality, merged reality, alternate reality, virtual reality future. Okay, this is where things are different from the 90s because there's a lot of people saying that VR is a gimmick right now. Absolutely not, because the tools are being given to, to everyone and even largely for free because it's all built into windows 10 right that's why there's paint 3d and all this different stuff it is changing you can see the infrastructure getting built and microsoft is really leading the charge in that and apple's being left far behind google google is taking it seriously okay certainly but any company that's not on board with this they're in trouble so anyway, so VR changes things because then, yes, absolutely, you could have, uh, you know, effectively post-scarcity. I mean, especially if food costs drop, you know, if we fix that distribution problem with food, oh, fuck. I mean, because then, I mean, then there, there's no limit, you know, to, I mean, oh, well, there's, there's only so much storage space. Come on. Okay, based upon, say, say you created a world with the graphical prowess. And as we've seen in VR so far, people are not, people are more impressed by great experiences with low graphics than they are with, you know, uh, high end, uh, high end graphics. All of the popular apps and games and software in VR are all, uh, they're very anthropomorphized, like they have, they, they do not look realistic at all. Okay, and I think... I think that, that that would hold true going forward. So if it doesn't have to be hyper-realistic, um, you know, then, then even then, I mean, there's all the graphical power you're, you're going to ever need. I mean, <laughs> all the, well, all the graphical power and all the storage space that you could probably ever need. Eventually you're going to have to re- replace your hard drive. Ooh, like that costs so goddamn much. Again, it's pseudo post-scarcity. It might as well be free. It costs practically nothing. And even if you went with cloud storage and all, I mean, like, there, there's just, there's so many ways that this could go to where it is effectively post-scarcity. Not, there is no such thing as literal post-scarcity. Of course, we'd have to be, we'd have to be able to create, like, literally, we would have to be able to create more matter and energy for there to be literal post-scarcity. Do you really think that people think we're going to be able to do that? I've got, I have a bridge to sell you in China, okay, and... I have, I have all the bridges that you could ever imagine because obviously you, you're that dumb if you think that that's what these people actually believe. Now, I'm not speaking to you, Sovereign Tech listeners. I'm just speaking kind of out loud in general. And then this is for Patreon, so I suppose I should be a little more specific in who I'm talking about, but... Anyway, um, yeah, I, I think in, in multiple ways, this, is, this kind of stuff is really going to be achievable. But keep in mind, no one is talking about literal post-scarcity. Nobody is talking about that. Nobody in their right mind would say that they can actually expand the universe. Nobody. Well, I mean, that, that's in their right mind. I mean, if they think they can do that, well, their problem isn't that they're post-scarcity. They're probably religious, right. And they have some wild quantum, you know, we're all connected, man, you know, kind of stuff, which we're not. Newsflash. Spoiler alert for life. We're not all connected. We're individuals. We all have secret places underneath our skulls. And I'm glad for that, too. Uh, So I hope that answers that question. You know, uh, again, the the main takeaway here is that nobody, even proponents of post-scarcity, None of them are talking about a hyper-literal post-scarcity. They're just not. They're just saying that things can get to such a low cost and you could get to a point of where you're doing, where you have to do so little work to maintain a very lavish lifestyle. Um, you know, and again, get regulations out of the way, let those free markets reign, and you've got it. You know, or I think you can very much get to that point. It's not a guarantee, that's an important thing, too, is that you know, when people say, well, let the market handle it and all that, that's not a guarantee necessarily of best results, but it does give the option. It does create the, the the you know, the it does create an environment to where this sort of thing can happen. Um anyway, there, there there you have it. That's that's my thoughts on it. If you think I'm crazy, message me. Okay, if you take issue with post scarcity, message me. I will talk about it on the show. Okay, you don't have to walk away saying Brian, Brian Sovereign's insane. Just message me, and we can you know we can talk about it. Um, okay, why don't we get into uh, let's get into another question here. Uh, I, I really hope that that answers the question. If it didn't, if you have more questions about post scarcity, ask away, and, and I will I will get into them. Um, but you know again the other or the other point that I wanted to just highlight is that people forget about yes there are finite resources, okay, but there is also finite time, and that time the finiteness of that time needs to be added against the finiteness of resources and the amount of life that a person can live, you know, could effectively, like so much resources, human usable resources could be created that within the average human lifetime, a person could literally have everything. Okay. And everybody forgets about that little bit of math. So, but there you have it. You know, you've got to go forward, go forward with it. Um. Okay, it, we're at the 56 minute mark, so I've got a couple minutes. Um, I'll just touch on this. Uh, somebody asked me, you know, th- they were talking about how I always give Star Wars updates and all this. Uh, They're asking me if I could give an update on the the status of Star Trek. Uh, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> what's going on in Star Trek? A lot of great things are going on in in Star Trek uh, right now. Though there are some some people are a little concerned because. So, I mean, this is just going to be a little fun to you know take it out. Uh, uh, segment and since we're talking about post-scarcity hey let's talk about the federation woohoo! Uh, which again clearly in and of itself when people call that post-scarcity and they do they give it as an example all the time obviously the federation is not post-scarcity itself okay like, like and and so take that for the fact that the example proves that when people talk about post-scarcity they're not talking about literal post-scarcity all right now anyway so star trek what's going on um, the concern is is that, well, the show Star Trek Discovery, which is supposed to get released in January of 2017, and I was really excited for it because we got Star Wars Rogue One coming out December 16th, and I was like, holy shit, inside of like three weeks, we're gonna have new Star Trek. I can't handle it, I'm just gonna be coming in my pants all the time. Ooh, and, and I would be. <laughs> but the show got backed up to May, to uh, May 2017. And Brian Fuller, who was one of the reasons that people were very excited about Star Trek because he does such a great job with all of his other work. And he had worked in Star Trek previously with Voyager, Deep Space Nine and all that. Um, Brian Fuller has, he's still going to kind of be involved and he still did write Really the first few episodes. Anyway, um, he is walking away, not supposedly it had, you know, it was totally amicable. There weren't any problems. He just has other projects, American gods, whatever that he's doing. Um, but there's still great people on that team. You still have Nick Meyer. Uh, y- you know, you still have uh, the author for all the the uh, you know the post season seven Voyager books, which all of those are great. She, Christine, she's she's awesome. Uh, you have you have great people on that team still. So I'm not I'm really not worried about Star Trek uh, or about Star Trek Discovery, the new show. I think it's going to be great. Um, they just announced uh, the first novel. For Star Trek Discovery, which is going to be written by David Mack, which he does great work. David Mack has written for all kinds of uh, different Star Trek series, uh, the novels anyway. He also wrote uh, the great book, Star Trek Vulcan, which is like this tour guide of Vulcan. It's so good because it never breaks character. I love it. Uh, So good stuff. I mean, I'm seeing really largely nothing but but good news and not hearing any casting news. Um, Of course, the show, if you hadn't heard, the show is supposedly going to be not about a captain. But it is, there's like, there's admirals getting casted. Like, there's going to be regular admirals on and all that stuff. This is going to be a very different show. I, I can only think that that's a good thing, in my opinion. I am all for that. Let's make it a very different show. And let's not have it center on a starship captain for once. I am totally on board with that. Yahoo! Uh, so, I mean, and kind of that, that was already a thing like D space nine, which for a lot of people is their favorite Star Trek didn't concentrate at least originally on a Starfleet captain. Of course, then comes season three and season four, it effectively did, you know, when the Defiant came on and, and of course, Cisco uh, finally became, you know, he was promoted in rank to captain. Um, so yeah, all that, I think, I think that, that just sounds, uh, that sounds great. Um and well let's see, the comic books that IDW's doing, uh, all those are boldly go and um oh shit, now I can't remember the name of the there's they're they're doing a an anthology, was it called Waypoint? They're doing like an anthology series now too, to where it's monthly and you know they'll 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 do a different, say a different universe or you know, a different uh, a franchise uh maybe every month or every once in a while uh they did a really cool one where like data was an entire was pretty much an entire ship and like like he was an entire crew for a ship and jordy was the captain uh it, that was that was fantastic <laughs> so anyway uh, so i love what's going on in the comic books i think those are really cool uh, in fact i think next month in december they're going to have the borg appear in the comic book for uh for the kelvin timeline movies which are the J.J. Abrams, what used to be called the Abrams verse Now it's called the Kelvin Timeline, uh, which is great because those comic books, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that those comics are largely considered canon within the Kelvin Timeline. Like a lot of little hints and, and things that happen in the movies, like in Star Trek Beyond and in Star Trek Into Darkness and all that, are references to what happens in the comics. Uh, so, I mean, if you're not reading the you know the, the, the IDW Kelvin Timeline comics, you're missing out on so much story that makes the movies even better. Maybe that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's why I like those movies so much because I've got all the background or, you know, I'm one of the people. I'm not the only one, obviously. I don't mean to boast, uh, you know, but but I, I know a lot more background of what's going on. And I like that. I like it when franchises do that, when they, they kind of, they make you to really appreciate what's going on. And maybe that's why they, some of them lose money, but they make you you know, ex- do the whole multimedia experience. You got to read the books. Got to read the comics. Got to listen to this. Got to you know what I mean? I, I love that. Create that whole experience. I think it's wonderful. Um, so anyway, so so all that's good. Uh, I just got my hands on the uh, on the Star Trek Encyclopedia, uh, the it, the new version that just came out in October 2016. Uh, this baby is fucking huge. <laughs> But it's beautiful. It's it's wonderful. Uh, in fact, I learned something in it that I had. Abs- I don't know how I, how this escaped my mind. I had no idea. Um, but anyway, it's it's this massive. It's it's two volumes now. The Star Trek Encyclopedia used to only be one volume, um, but it's two volumes now, and it covers everything up to Into Darkness. So Beyond isn't in it. Obviously, Discovery's not in it. And the Okudas have this odd thing where they they. They kind of run off of what Gene Roddenberry said to where the, the animated series isn't canon, which I think is crap because the animated series is so good. I love the fact that like Memory Alpha and a lot of other sources or, you know, a lot of other, other uh, Star Trek media, you know, make references to it and use it as effective, you know, more or less fact or, you know, as canon. Uh, so I'm a little disappointed by that. I thought they could have rectified it. You know, I mean, come on, guys, as, as much as I love Gene Roddenberry, he's gone. Uh, he's been gone for for a while now Star trek really isn't his I mean yeah it's still his baby but it obviously it's not his anymore um so anyway but but it's really really good I mean like just a phenomenal you know both volumes are great I mean it's just, a, it, it's just huge I mean you really like I, I took a picture of myself and shared it on social media very social media you know, holding it, and I'm not a small person, and this book is massive, (laughs) I mean, you you know, it's bigger than, far, yeah, I mean, just far larger than my, you know, my head, and I mean, just, just gigantic, um, and, the, you know, one of the unique things that just in perusing it that I learned and one of the things I like about it that you don't get on Memory Alpha, because I think a lot of people would say, well, what do you need the Star Trek Encyclopedia for? You can just go to Memory Alpha. Well, the Star Trek Encyclopedia does a great job with a lot of the graphics work because, uh, you know, Michael and Denise Okuda, the people that have been making the uh, uh, they've been making Star Trek reference books forever. But, they, you know, they've been making the the Encyclopedia for a long time. Uh, of course, this has been the first update in probably like 10 years, 10, 15 years. Maybe fifteen, um, but anyway, you know they're great graphic design artists, which is what they did on Star Trek. You know when they worked for you know with with Star Trek, um, and so you get a lot of very unique looks that are canon you know, in the Star Trek encyclopedia, the artwork is really the thing in in many ways of what you can get, like what certain ships look like and, and what they look like in comparison to others and all this. I mean, you just, you get very unique stuff in it that I think is super important. So the thing that was interesting to me that I learned is they did a, a enterprise. They were, they were showing kind of a history of the enterprise in the encyclopedia and they were doing a size comparison ch- chart. Okay. Which they did, you know, 15 years ago too. But the, the enterprise from the Kelvin timeline, you know, from the Abrams verse is fucking huge. Like it is massive. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know that it ever got mentioned in, I don't remember ever seeing it in memory alpha. Maybe that's why I never realized it. And I even have, you know, I have the, the Haynes guy. They came out with that funny, you know, Hanes guides like for not Haynes like underwear, but Haynes like the car, the car manual company. Okay, they came out with a Haynes guide a few years ago for the Enterprise. Uh, and in that, they mention the the Kelvin timeline Enterprise. You know, like that there's this alternate universe and all this, right? But I don't think even in that that they ever mention the size of that Enterprise. But it is the largest Enterprise of them all. It's bigger than the Sovereign class. It's bigger than the Galaxy class. I It might not be bigger than the Enterprise J, which is like this futuristic... Uh, was a universe class. I think that's the name of it. It might not be bigger than the Enterprise J, but as far as enterprises, you know, between the the 21st and 24th century, it is the largest. I can't believe that. That thing's fucking massive. (laughs) I mean, and it's warp nacelles. I mean, they're the size of, you know, some of the Enterprises. (laughs) Like, my mind was blown when I saw it. I was like, holy fuck. You know, uh, so... Which makes sense. I mean, considering, like, the size of, say, the, like, engineering that you see in the movies uh, and all that, like, these are always these massive rooms. So I guess it has to be that big. But I, I just, I didn't even know. I didn't realize it. Um, and, and You know, there was even, there was a crossover series with the Kelvin timeline. Maybe it was just a DS9 in it. Well, anyway, I don't know how I never noticed that, but that's how it is. Um, so Star Trek's looking good. That, that's, that's the bottom line here. Uh, something I really wish that, that would... The place that Star Trek really needs to make impact again, and for a little while it actually was was doing pretty good in that, is when in gaming, we need a great Star Trek game again. And Star Trek Online's fine. I'm not saying anything about that. And there's that VR game that's effectively Bridge Commander with VR. And that's really cool. Uh, but I think we need some more cl- classic, traditional games of Star Trek that that needs to get out there. Uh, that that's really the only area that I see they're not they're not doing very well. I mean, I think Star Trek Beyond was a great movie. I absolutely hope there's a fourth movie because I've been loving this uh, the Kelvin timeline movies largely. Um, the you know the TV series things are shaping up nicely with that uh in the in the fiction you know in the the print media world i think it's doing a great job um overall it's been doing a actually it's been doing a great job for years now uh ever since they did that big reboot simon and Schuster did that reboot back in like what was it 2011 2012 or something uh they they've been the books have been awesome um especially the voyager sequel books uh so yeah so i, I think i think star trek's doing great uh they're of course Huge issues in the fan film world. We still don't have a lot of great answers on that. We've talked about that in Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. Uh, so that's, you know, not something I'm going to revisit here other than that things still aren't looking up in that direction. Uh, Star Trek continues for whatever reason, seems to be allowed to continue on, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, th- things, are, things are going great. Star Trek's in, in as good a shape, in my opinion, other than the botching of the 50th anniversary. Star Trek is in good a shape as Star Wars is. I really think so. I think the new show is going to, going to take off even. And I think, I, you know, I'll tell you, I think what's going to happen, because one of the big controversies is over Star Trek Discovery being on CBS All Access, at least in America. Everywhere else is going to be on Netflix. Um, I, I don't know how long that's going to last to where they hold on to that, you know, because like Paramount tried doing that before. Like you had UPN where Voyager was originally syndicated. And then they're like, okay, we want this to be our flagship show on our new network. And UPN eventually flopped. In fact, if Voyager had any ratings problems, in my opinion, it had to do with the fact that you could not watch it on syndication. That, that, that was the issue. And I think that eventually um, people will... Or, you know, I, I think CBS is going to wisen up and they will just make a, a contract, you, you know, they'll just make a distribution deal with Netflix or maybe even Amazon. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I can't picture that being it, but they'll make a distribution deal with somebody and Star Trek Discovery will get aired elsewhere uh, because that's CBS All Access just is, isn't, I don't think that's, that sort of thing is going to last. Uh, and, you know, this gets into another subject that I could, I could go down. I got a couple of minutes, I guess. Uh, I'm a... You know, I really hope, (laughs) I hope Blu-ray never dies. Uh, I hope physical media really never dies. And honestly, I will, I would be willing, because there's some things that I'm willing to buy. Okay, like, like, there's some things where, yeah, I torrent fucking everything. But the shit I really love that, like, I really fucking love, you know, I am, I am happy to, to, to shell out money for that. There's not a there's there's honestly not a lot of things that I love that much, okay, <laughs> to where I'd be willing to you know to pay 100 200 what you know whatever. I think most of the great great movies and the great shows have already been made, or at least the great franchises have already been made. Um, I've said that before, but I I really hope physical media sticks around because we're heading in a direction, and it's probably going to be a good two, 10 years or so until the market kind of kind of evens all this out. We're heading in a direction where you know like with cbs all access then you have hbo go you're gonna have all these different services that aren't cable and that that are gonna be like you're gonna have to spend 10 bucks a month for all of them um that i mean it's just gonna be ridiculous you know to to just try and watch tv like people are used to uh they won't that really won't be happening anymore um But that won't last. I really don't think that's going to last. Eventually things are going to go back to something like cable or Netflix is just going to end up being like, you know, it's Netflix will just equate TV. Like it is just going to be the TV network. And and that'll largely be the end of it. Maybe Amazon will have something. Maybe Apple will buy Netflix. I don't know. Okay, but I really hope that it, it, it makes such an interesting statement that physical media as much as it can be proprietary, which Blu-ray, you know, is owned by Sony, right? As much as it can be proprietary, physical media is such the bastion of independence. Because you don't really have to be to buy into anybody's network. You don't have to buy into... You don't have to do any subscriptions. You don't have to do any of that bullshit. It is the one thing... And it's, in my opinion, it's worth paying a premium for. Okay? If, if Star Trek Discovery, if like season one of Star Trek Discovery came out, and frankly, if it cost like 100 or or $150 for the 4K Blu-ray version of that. Not that I can afford that. I'm saying if I could, I would pay that. Like I would pay the premium to hold a physical copy. Uh, that, you know, just so I wasn't tied in and I didn't have to give money to all these dumbass networks. Okay, now, of course, that's why they make these shows. You know, buying into the networks is what allows them to make these shows and all that shit, right? Uh, but, you know... If I had to pay a premium to where, you know, buying, buying copies down the line is what made it possible to, you know, to make a specific show, like a show got funded based upon the fact that you bought it outright instead of bought into networks and all this stuff. That's much more the direction I would go. I know Louis CK and some other people have tried to make that a reality where you buy episodes, not networks anymore. And they, those, those ideas seem to have failed. Uh, maybe it's just, it's too early for that, but that, that's a direction that things will, will hopefully go. Um, I, you know, so hopefully physical media, as much as I enjoy the ease and comfort of digital, I hope physical media lasts for fucking ever. Um, and I, and I, I think it will, because like I've talked about many times, you know, companies still use like Blu-rays. Guess who the number one buyer of Blu-rays is? Not consumers, Facebook. Facebook buys Blu-rays because that's how they, that's how they do a lot of their long-term storage is on Blu-rays. Okay. So while Facebook would tell you, oh, just put everything in the cloud, they're putting everything on the Blu-ray. So what do you think you should do? Well, I think you should do what these companies who know something you don't, uh, you know, about their business structure and about everything that's going on, you know, in the tech world, I think you should maybe copy their model and say, okay, well, fuck, I'll buy Blu-rays, right? (laughs) So anyway, just a little side tangent there That's enough for this week Got in some fun stuff Fun stuff with Star Trek I am really excited about the direction all that's going uh, We talked about post-scarcity Again, if you have questions on that Ask me the questions first Who knows? Maybe if you disagree with me Maybe you can convince me otherwise Maybe! Wouldn't you want to try on that challenge? Please try it uh, Or maybe I'll convince you Maybe you'll be like, oh, well I didn't think about the whole time aspect of this That... that You know, that we only have so much time to engage in these infinite desires and that that creates, uh, you know, a natural finiteness, right? Uh, Anyway, uh, all right, enough of that. Carpe Lucam, everybody. (laughs) Got some other episodes coming out this week. I really do. I'll see you on the other side. Oh, 199C. It's going to be a great time. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to sovereigntech.com. That's S O V R Y N tech.com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.